This is Mike Bartolomeo, pastor of Church for the Harvest in Alexandria, Minnesota. The Bible is the Word of God. Within its pages are revealed God's perfect will and plan for mankind, the answers to life's hardest questions, and instructions on how to live a victorious Christian life. I believe the following message can change your life if you will let it. Join us now as we share the Word of God today. Amen. One of the things it's just as I was praying about what I'm about to share here in the second week in our series is I felt the Lord impressed me this week to say that those of you who have come here today, and that's everyone here, that to ask God to give you a rhema word for your life. And some of you shake your head, you know what I'm talking about. Some of you go, what does he just talk about? And the Bible talks about that the word of God is the written word of God. Can I get an amen? It's the logos. And the Bible says in John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word. That word in the Greek for word means logos. It's the written word of God. How many of you know that as you open up the Bible and you read the Bible, specifically for your life, you can't find anything specific? In other words, it doesn't say, um, Oli. Oli is supposed to marry Lena. And... (laughs) Isn't that right? You're not going to find that. And so, you know, so you can read the logos of God, which is important. That's where we have our foundation. Amen. That's where we get our steadiness. That's where we get the word that we're able to, 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 to speak forth. But there's a difference between the logos and the rhema. Uh, the scripture says in um, Ephesians 6, 17, it says to take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the spoken, the rhema word of God. So a rhema word is an alive word. A rhema word is the spoken word. A rhema word from God is a word that God gives to you, that he speaks to you personally. I can remember times in our life that I've had specific words that were rhema words to tell me and direct me, what am I supposed to do? How many are faced with the situation? You're kind of perplexed. You're like, I don't know what to do right now. You need a rhema word of God. So I'm going to ask the Spirit of God throughout this teaching time and ministering time that you would receive a rhema word. And, you know, during the service this week that God will speak to you specifically as you seek him. How many say amen to that? And see, so, so the rhema, the spoken word of God is for direction, to know what to do, where to go. I think of the, <clears throat> the summer of uh, 1993, I was out in Boston <clears throat> and in a very <clears throat> major storm of my life <clears throat> with my family and, and circumstances and situation and being married and newly married. And, and I, I was in this major storm and I needed clarity and uh, so many of you heard, heard me share the story that I got a phone call to come back out here uh, to Minnesota and, and just to be a youth pastor at a church there in Ashby, uh, Destiny Church. It was Country Bible at that time. And while I was on the phone, talk about harassment and how the enemy does not want you to step into what God has for you. The phone, how many know call waiting is someone can call you while you're on the phone? Well, it was still available back then. And the phone rang, and it was the businessman, very successful businessman, that got my father started in the dry cleaning industry. He owned a numerous amounts of uh, dry cleaning plants, and he knew that I was, as a dry cleaner, and I knew spotting, he was looking for a spotter. While I'm talking to Pastor Steve in Ashby, the phone clicks, and it's him offering me a job that I can't refuse. 
How many know you need a rhema word at that time to do the right thing? Isn't that right? <clears throat> and I remember being in agony. It wasn't an easy choice. It was just being in agony for two weeks, just kind of, what am I? I don't want to go back out there to Minnesota. My wife heard all of this, you know. That'd be feel like I'm failing. I mean, it's like, a, what, 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 you know, I have this opportunity, and, and he's probably going to get me set up, and this guy's very wealthy, and, you know, maybe God has me, you know, this is my call. And it, back and forth until I just began to pray. And I said, God, you got to speak to me. And this is what he did for me. He just basically impressed it, no audible voice. There was no fleece that was wet one day, dry the next day in the floor. There was none of that. There was no, was that an angel? Somebody shout nothing. But inside me, I just prayed and said, Lord, what? In this sense was, this is what God has for you. Take the step of faith. Step out of the boat onto the water. I felt this little voice say, come. It wasn't this demonstrative, you know, I got, pastor got this major sign. It was none of that. It was a simple, still, small voice said, go. Now, the moment I stepped out and said, yes, tremendous peace came. See, you got to follow after peace. Some of you are wondering the decisions you're making, like, what am I supposed to do and all this? But the moment you get this, you're all in turmoil, anxiety, and then you, you, you end something and you start something new and you feel peace, you know that's God. Somebody say amen. <laughs> Most of you know what I'm talking about that. And, and, and so the moment that I felt peace, like, this is the right decision. Let's get out of here. You know, I wanted to get out of there as soon as possible. But, but so I'm asking God, I'm believing in the name of Jesus, Lord, you would give your people a rhema word that in the midst of the storm, you know what to do. All right? Facing the storms of life. Uh, this is the second week in our series. I'm just going to briefly, the time we have remaining, and talk about being in the storm and being in God's will. Being in the storm and being in God's will. And our text has been in Matthew. We see that Jesus is in the midst of the storm, and he's coming to the disciples in the midst of the storm. And so this series, the main series, is about how we personally grow and develop through the storms of life. We said this last week quickly that storms reveal a number of things of our life. We're in the midst of it. Our faith, our commitment, our maturity, uh, our attitude. And <clears throat> I go through those things real quickly, but the truth of the matter is many of those things are embarrassing when you're in the middle of the storm. So what do you mean, Pastor Mike? I don't look like I have much faith I'm in the middle of this. How many hear what I'm saying? You know, you're struggling. You feel like this is crazy. What's going on? I, I thought I was more mature. Or here's one. I thought I was more spiritual. <laughs> and then you, you, you have this, you know, outburst of your flesh or whatever. But the, one of them highlighted is our teachability. Say that with me. Say teachability. Are we teachable? What do we learn and receive from the storms of life? Hopefully, we learn something. But here's the thing. If we don't learn the lesson, how many of you know that God is such a loving God? We'll go around the thing again, and we'll do it again. <laughs> Some of you go, oh, God, yes. <laughs> feel like I'm in the, yeah, desert. Matthew 14 is the story of the disciples being out in the water. I'm just going to take a few moments and, and uh, set the stage for this text of something that we want to touch on. <clears throat> the Bible says, Matthew 14, 22, right away, Jesus made his disciples get into a boat and start back across the lake. We'll touch on that phrase here in a minute. But he stayed until he had sent the crowds away. Then he went up on a mountain where he could be alone and he prayed. Later that evening, he was still there. By this time, the boat was a long way from the shore. It was going against the wind and it was being tossed around by the waves. A little while before the morning, Jesus came walking on the water, which is a miracle, which is impossible in the natural, but it was a miracle. 
How many know Jesus has authority over the elements? <clears throat> if he is the creator, as Colossians says, of all things, he can, he can do whatever he wants. A little while before, Jesus came walking in the water toward his disciples, and when they saw him, <clears throat> they thought he was a ghost. No kidding, I would too. And they were terrified and started screaming. These are fishermen. These are tough guys, okay? These are not guys that home stitching blankets, okay? These are tough guys, all right? These are, you know, eating turkey legs, you know, walking around at the fair, you know what I mean? <laughs> Something like that. It's like, wow. <clears throat> That's the time. And Jesus goes, don't worry. I am Jesus. Don't be afraid. Amen. So Peter, I love Peter. I can relate to Peter. <laughs> Peter said, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you on the water. It isn't just like I'm just going to accept what you just said, but if it's really you, I want to do what you're doing. Come on. That should be our heart today. Hey, God, if this is really you, I want to do what you're doing. What are you doing today, Lord? What are you doing in the earth? What are you doing? What do you want to do in my life? If that's you, Lord, tell me to come. And I love this. This is what I'm going to talk about here. The Bible says, Jesus says, come on. Come on. Just shout, come on. come on. Shout it again. Say, come on. Come on. What does that mean? Jesus said, Peter then got out of the boat. And it's not one of these little dinky little, you know, rafts. You can just stow bubble and walk. Some of those boats that, that you had to actually step out and climb down to get in the water. So how many of you know when you get that far, if something's not going to hold you, you're going in? I mean, how many of you know you could step out with one foot in? That right? And you could just go like, it's working. Oh, it's working. I'm going to step out. See, that's a lot of us with faith. Not this. You had to climb down and go, I got to let go. Some of you, God is bringing you to that place, to the next level. Your client, you, you, you just want to like, is it you? God, I don't know. I don't know. It doesn't seem like it works, but Jesus is saying, step out. Because if Jesus tells you to do something, he's going to hold you. That's that rhema word in the storm. See, he had a rhema word. A lot of times we, we step out on things and Jesus didn't say come. He didn't say do this. He didn't say climb out. I never told you. But Jesus, why didn't you shave me? I never told you to jump out of that. But in this, I'm telling, can I get an amen in this church? <clears throat> Some of you are still just waking up right now. All right. Maybe we'll get this thing going here. So Jesus said, come on. Peter got out of the boat and he started walking on the water. Wow. Miracle. But Peter saw how strong the wind was. He was afraid and he started sinking. I want to just let you all know that Satan is the master of fear. Isn't that right? And so when we begin to operate in a spirit of fear, I'm not just talking natural fears. You know, you, know, you, got, you got to look book both ways before you cross the highway. You know, you don't fool around on high buildings like some of these crazy people do. These idiots that climb up these buildings like this, you know. And <clears throat> this, we're not talking about no fear. Yeah, right. <clears throat> we're talking about, you know, the, just things how we can, we can have anxiety come upon us. And we're, see, when we get filled with anxiety, is we, we're trying to control our future. And we need to trust the Lord. We need to trust the Lord. And so he shouted, and right away, I love that, Jesus reached out and he helped Peter up. And he said, surely, you don't have much faith. Why did you doubt? That, uh, one of those verses is, boy, it takes a lot to really understand that. It's like, okay, you asked me to come, and then I looked around. So Jesus must be saying, you took your eyes off of me, you doubted. It's a good word for us here today. When Jesus and Peter got in the boat, so he made sure he got in the boat, the wind died down, the men in the boat, they began to worship Jesus and say, you really are the son of God. Well, no kidding. You know, somebody come walking on the water. And so last week, very quickly, we talked about why do the storms come? We said everyone has storms. Everyone has storms. 
I want to make that clear. Everyone has storms. And there's time storms come in our life because we are out of the will of God. We heard about Jonah, and we talked about that, and he just was running. He was out of the will of God. It's, you know, big old fish sucks him up, and, and, but he's out of the will of God. But we can be in the will of God. That's why I want to talk to you briefly here this morning. In the will of God and in the storm. So we can be in God's will and in the storm. So <clears throat> they're in the midst of the storm. But here's the thing I want you to notice. Jesus is the one. Now watch this. Watch this. Jesus is the one that put them in the boat. Actually, he commands them. He said, get in this boat. Go. He told them, and he knew there was a storm going to happen. What does that say? Told him to get out. In other words, they're right in the middle of God's will. How many know if Jesus tells you to do something, that's the will of God? You don't start quite, you know, well, you know, Jesus, I don't know. I don't know. Because it doesn't, and there's a storm that's coming. Jesus said, get in the boat and go. In other words, there's a storm ahead, but I'm going to be with you in it. Okay? And so, they're having the storm of their life. And once again, these are fishermen. They've had storms. They've been in tough situations before. This thing was demonic. This thing was of the enemy to destroy their life. So we can be in the will of God. Watch this. Doing what God has called us to do and have a major storm in our life. How many remember Job? Job in the Old Testament. We know that Satan came to God concerning what was happening on earth, and, and he's just walking to and fro, and the Bible says that God challenged him. <clears throat> so in other words, Satan is walking is to and fro the earth, you know, thinking that, you know, he, which he had dominion <clears throat> at that time. It was given to him by Adam, and he's walking to and fro on the earth, and the Lord asks him, what are you doing? He goes, oh, just walking to and fro. In other words, saying, hey, the earth is mine. I took it from you mocking God. And the Lord says this. He goes, hey, have you noticed? I would never want God to point out the devil to me. Right? Hey, have you noticed, you know, Beth? Have you noticed Mary or Joe or Ann or Mike? Have you noticed them? Look at them. They're great. So the devil's now, oh, now I want to focus on you. And so that's basically what God did. And he said, hey, look at Job. He's a perfect man. And we know about the boils from head to toe on Job as he sat on an ash heap. And, and the history tells us and the commentators that it was between six to nine months that he went through this period, this horrible, horrible period of his life. But the word perfect in the Hebrew doesn't mean without sin. God wasn't saying he was without sin. It's just a saying that he's saying, look, Job is complete. It actually means he's morally pious. Uh, he's gentle. He's dear. <clears throat> it means coupled together. It means undefiled. He's an upright man. Job was doing, walking in the light that he had <laughs> from the old, you know, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, all he knew to serve the Lord. And the Lord said, what a righteous man he was. That's interesting. That's before the New Testament. That's before Jesus. And he just walked according to, you know, a, a tried to, you know, endeavor in his heart. How many know God sees our hearts? Amen. And so God said about him that he was also an upright man. So didn't he say that he was perfect, but he said he's upright. It means he was just, righteous, most upright. So in this, the way I read this, and there's different interpretations that question is asked, well, Job sinned. No, not according to God. God said, if God says that you're perfect, you're an upright person, I think you would be a perfect and upright person if God declared that over you. Amen? And so, 
Absolutely not. He was faithful to God and man. That's what I gather from that. You know, there was a teaching I grew up in the word of faith. A lot of good stuff in there. But there was a teaching that, you know, that Job, he had fear. <clears throat> because every day the Bible said that he sacrificed <clears throat> for his children that if perhaps maybe one of them sinned in their heart and they mocked God or they were, you know, against the Lord, then God would cover them. And so they would say that, that through fear, <clears throat> it allowed the enemy to come in and do what he did. Okay, all right. How many of you know that we can allow the enemy come in in our life through fear? Isn't that right? I think there may be an element of truth to that. But, but what God said about this man, I think it's pretty clear right there. He was a righteous and just person uh, uh, that God declared. And so, <clears throat> but he was in, watch this, the, the greatest storm of his life. He lived on many, many years later and God gave him double for his trouble. But how many know he was in a storm, but God brought him through that? But he was with him. He was in the will of God in a storm. Very quickly, Joseph in Genesis 39. Joseph talks about it. Uh, Job actually and Joseph in the Old Testament are probably the only two characters that the Bible records as being perfect. But we see Joseph, watch this, being sold off into slavery. He goes into Egypt. He spends years in prison. He is slandered by the wife of Potiphar. <clears throat> now here's the thing. Joseph is in a very difficult time of his life but he's in the center of God's will. Isn't that right? He, he's, you know, you can say what you want about him, but God was leading him down there to Egypt and God was, you know, that was his will. And so too many of us, we feel <clears throat> that we're in the worst times of our life that somehow, <clears throat> excuse me, that we're out of God's will. You may not be. You may be in the perfect will of God in the storm. Okay? And then thirdly, <clears throat> we see the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 11. I'm going to just read some of the, Paul begins to lay out his lineage because of the attackers and the false preachers. And he says this, he says, I am more, I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews, the 40 lashes minus one, 39. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked, okay? One night <laughs> I spent a day and a half in the open sea. He says, I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in dangers from bandits, in danger from fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst. I have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. And after that, I say, wow. So, some would teach that, well, Paul, the great apostle, went through those things because he didn't have enough faith. Rubbish. That's crazy. <laughs> so everything that's listed right there that he lists, how I many know oh, that's some serious suffering? Okay? Serious suffering, the stuff. I mean, just think of you, that you're out on a boat somewhere and you get knocked over and you're at sea for a day and a half. How I many know oh, there's a lot of praying going on with you? Sharks, everything else, you know, you'd be, oh God! He, he went through all this, beating all of these things, but he was in the will of God. We have a real enemy out there. His name is Satan, Lucifer, the falling one. And so on top of that, he dies a martyr's death. Wow. But he's a man of God, and he's one of the great men in the history of the Christian church. Amen? So, so in all of this, in all of this, Paul is in the center of God's will. 
I want to just, I just want that to sink in. So many of you are going through things, and what happens is, is <clears throat> we attest, and sometimes we attach them to we did something wrong. You sinned a great sin. That permeates third world countries. And I'm not saying that we can be out of the will of God and that, but sometimes you have to stop and think, okay, wait a minute. My heart is right. Uh, 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 you know, um, <laughs> I'm doing all I know to live in the light that God has given me. Amen. And, and you're trusting the Lord. <clears throat> so it is possible for you and I to be obeying God, walking in the light that we possibly, you know, that we know, and be, and be actually in the center of God's will. How many with me say amen? Here's the thing. You can never really look at a person. We like to do this at times. I guess human nature, let me just say it that way, is like, well, they're really going through a bad time. They must have sinned. I know nobody in here has ever thought that, but <clears throat> and you can't do that. It's nonsense. You just don't know what's going on in that person's life, and, and you don't know that they're obeying God, and they're just attacked with this vicious attack, and the storms of life are coming upon them, and, and we have <clears throat> sin in the earth, you know, and life just gives them tough blows, and that's why it's so important, my brothers and sisters, that we're to have our feet on the solid ground of God's word. Amen? And so, very quickly, storms happen. <clears throat> okay. There's a storm right there. <laughs> storms happen to people in the will of God as well as those outside the will of God. Okay? Just want you to, to, to you know, take that in here. <clears throat> Here's the thing, in the midst of the storm, there's many times we begin to devalue, devalue our lives. What do you mean? We begin to wonder, God has forgotten us and he's abandoned us. Maybe it's one, something I've done wrong or, or that sin that I committed, you know, whatever, that I've repented about, ask God to forgive me and wash me and cleanse me. And he's just, I'm suffering for that. Am I speaking to anybody this morning? And so we come around, walk around that, you know what? God doesn't care. I feel worthless. And I feel like, you know what? Everything in life, just feel, feel like you're a doormat. People just walking all over you. You know, <clears throat> there's a purpose for storms. There's a purpose for storms. In 1799, Conrad Reed, young kid, discovered a 17-pound rock while he was fishing in Little Metal Creek. Not knowing what it was made of, his family, his dad looked at it and said, oh, just put it out there in front of the doorstep. So for three years, <clears throat> they used it as a doorstep going through. Well, the father one day just kind of dawned on him and says, you know, that rock looks a little bit different here. And he brings it in, and he took it to a jeweler, and he identified it was a lump of gold. It was worth, in 1800 $3,600, 1800 And he told the father, it's only worth about $3.50. That's what he told him. <clears throat> and the father hung on to it, smart man. He told it was, it was basically worthless, but how many of you know it was priceless? So for three years, it felt like it was being walked on. It felt like it was worthless. It felt like you could have felt like I'm that, this, that, that threshold there that nobody cares about God where you are, but the truth of the matter is it had tremendous value. That lumber gold, which was used as a doorstep for three years in North Carolina, is one of the biggest gold nuggets ever found east of the Rockies. Worth millions of dollars. <laughs> Why? What am I trying to say? <clears throat> what am I trying to say? <laughs> Until its composition was determined, its value was unknown. What does that mean, Pastor Mike? Even so, until the composition of our faith is determined, our strength is unknown. That's why we go through tests. That's why we go through challenges. And, and, and he's like, you know, some of you think, well, God is sovereign. He knows what I'm going to do. He knows what I'm going to choose. He knows. I don't believe that. 
Yes, he's sovereign, he sovereign reigns, but how many of you know that God left a lot on us to choose? That, if that's true, then that means there's just a select number of people that are going to be saved, and the rest of you are damned to hell, and there's nothing you can do about it. I don't believe that. The Bible says that God wishes that all men might be saved, that all might be. That is his heart. His heart is for everyone. Can I get an amen? All right? <clears throat> so there's a lot he's left up to us to choose. And he wonders, and he, he I think, I don't say God wonders, but I think he, 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 he ponders. It's like, what are you going to do in this situation? Do you love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Why? Because God is not looking for robots. He's not looking for people that will serve him for ulterior motives. He's looking for someone that is like he wants a relationship like he walked with Adam. Like he walked with Enoch, who walked with God. The Bible said he's not. He's looking for people that want authentic relationship. That can choose otherwise. Are you with me? To choose to ignore him. That's our choice. But hence we have storms in the purpose of them. So God allows trials in our lives not to hurt us. I'm not saying that everything that comes against you is of God. That God is doing this. You know, he killed this person. He killed that person. He gave this person cancer. They died. This person was taken away from me. And blessed be the name of the Lord. No. We have a real devil out there. The devil does this. He kills, he steals, and he destroys. So that's the modem of the enemy. And how many know storms can come in our life? When Peter cried out, Jesus immediately snatched him out. So we need to recognize we have a real devil. There's a real enemy that is out there that we have authority over. Can I get an amen? And God wants us to enforce that victory of Calvary to declare that, to, 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 to stand on his word. Amen? And so, but, but God uses the storms. See, what the enemy means for evil, God will turn around for good. So when this horrible, tragic things happen, I was like, God, how does this get turned around? We've got to trust the Lord in the long haul and go that he's going to work this thing out. And if you stick with him and you stay strengthened with the Lord, he will turn that thing, what the enemy meant for evil, for good. Can I get an amen? <clears throat> First Corinthians 10, and there's a whole message in this, but... I just highlighted a few points here. I don't know if you're able to see it. But I love this verse. It says this, there isn't any temptation. Someone shout temptation. That you have experienced, which is unusual for humans. <clears throat> so in other words, what you're going through right now is just normal. That's not how we like to look at it. Like, Man, I'm going through. Nobody, nobody understands. Nobody knows the trouble. Of oh, yeah. It's all normal. Everybody that you have experienced, which is unusual for humans, God, watch this, who faithfully keeps his promise, will not allow you to be tempted beyond your power to resist. Man, as a young man, that was smote me, that verse. Because you, you know what? What do we do? Flip Wilson. The devil made me do it. Isn't that right? It was the devil. He made me do it. Had no power over it. He just said, go, sin, do this thing. Oh, it's the devil. We like to blame a lot on the devil. No, I need to hammer this here. No temptation. You, that comes. God will give you power. You have power in the midst of that to resist that. Come on. Somebody shout amen. amen. Problem is a lot of times we don't. <laughs> and we just succumb to it. But you have authority. But when you are tempted, he will also give you an ability to endure the temptation. And as your way of escape, one translation says he will make a way of escape if you want it. Sometimes we don't want it. Amen. But he will make a way. That's what this scripture is saying. Therefore, my dear friends, get as far away from the worship of false gods 
In the Greek, that actually means idols, as you can. Idols, we'll talk about that, Lord willing, next week. Idolatry, how the enemy trips us up with all these idols. I have a lot more pages up here. It's not that I expanded my notes, but I can't see 14 font with my eyes, so I increased it to 16. So I have a lot more pages. It's just like, I can't see this anymore. But I'm sure, I'm almost done. I'm almost done. <clears throat> so a lot of times in difficult times in our life, we ask, what did we do wrong? What did we do wrong? You know, God has allowed me to go through these hard times. He doesn't care about me. Am I saved? And here's what, here's what I want you to know, that we need to be very careful in this when we're in the difficult times. As you continue to walk in faith, be on guard. Because how many know Satan plays to keeps? He plays to keeps. And, and, and we begin to reasoning. And the devil says, you know what? You don't really love God. If he really loved you, he wouldn't allow you to go through this. And look at your old buddies. Look at your old friends. Look at, the, look at the people who don't even go to church, who don't even serve. They don't tie. They don't give. They drink and smoke and party. They're sleeping around. They're doing all these things. It looks like they're having fun. Amen. That's, what, that's how he works. Look at them. Look at look. Look at, look at the trouble. You brought Christ in your life. You got this whole religion thing. Now, this is the enemy talking. You know, and then now, look at them. It's just there's so much it seems better off. You got all this difficulty and trials and something's wrong. God's abandoned you. <clears throat> Do not see the spirit of doubt is a, doubt is a spirit. It's a spirit. And what, what it can do is in the, in the anniversary, and I've seen this, and I've seen this. <clears throat> How many have heard of Billy Graham? But how many have heard of Charles Templeton? Charles Templeton was an evangelist from Canada, and he was also an author. These guys were running buddies back in the 1940s. Billy Graham followed Charles because he was such an eloquent preacher. He preached at some of the major universities in Princeton and, and Yale. And, and at, at one university, they would ring the bells kind of like at noon. You know, kind of a, that was a, to let people know that it was noon. They held the bells because he was preaching and the kids in the university was sitting on the edge of their seat and God was moving. That's how powerful his ministry was, Charles Templeton. But you know what happened? <clears throat> Got into doubt. He began to question, began to question his faith. He, he, he faced some, some trials in his life. This is why I talk about storms and it's important to stay focused. Hear me? Because the enemy uses the storms that he brings and that, you know, God may allow in your life. But the enemy at times, he's playing for keeps. And he began to work on this man. He began to work on this man. I remember one time they said he was in somewhere in India. And he saw all the suffering. And they were crying out for rain. And there was no rain. And people were dying. And it was like, how could you not help these people, God? And the enemy watches, comes in, and puts these doubts in our lives. And we begin to question, God, do you really even care? You say you do, but you, re man, I feel God. He's speaking to people. Do you really even care? And what happened is, is um, he began to wobble in his faith, and especially in the thing with creation. And he would argue. They would be traveling together, and he would argue with Billy, and Billy would go, I don't have the answer for that. This is what I know. And I know it may, I'm not articulate as you are, Charles, but I just know this is truth. And he wrote about him later. He actually wrote a book. Um, it's horrible. I have the book here. It's called Farewell to God. Writes a book. Totally becomes an atheist. Storms and trials and difficulty. Do not think that Satan is idle in them. 
He's spreading seeds of doubt and unbelief and, and to you to question that God really even exists. Come on, are you with me here this morning? <clears throat> Charles Darwin, preacher turned naturalist, posed the theory of evolution. Uh, Michael Shermer, who's editor, editor of Skeptics Magazine. Tom Hanks, actor, was a believer, now an atheist. Charles Templeton, close friend and worker with Billy Graham, accepted evolution, wrote his book, Farewell to God. Moses Mordecai Marx, at age 17, wrote a heartfelt prayer telling of his love of the Lord. After studying philosophy and embracing evolution, he turned his back on God. This is why it's so important when our kids go off to school, as we're going to pray here on Wednesday. Parents, it's our responsibility to train our kids. The public school will not for your, their faith. We will not. I'm not anti-public school. You know what? There's private schools. I, I just think that's great. There are Christians in the public school. There are Christian teachers that are really trying to do a good job. But the state has taken over. Okay? So you have to, when they bring home these things, that little subtle stuff, come on now, that, you know, try to erase God and question him, deal with those questions. Now, kids, you know, let's just talk about this here from God's perspective and not slam it down them. Just bring it and propose it to them as we try to do with our kids and just saying, you know, well, and so help them to reason because if they don't understand, they're lost. There's a, a wedge right there in their mind like, Maybe, maybe, maybe the ark was stupid. How do you get all the animals? That's so dumb. Your faith, so you doubt this word. Amen? Stand with me if you would, please. Trials teach us that, Charles Spurgeon says that, teach us what we are. They dig up the soil, let us see what we are made of. Prayer is the best armor against all trials. A gem cannot be polished without friction, nor a man perfected or a woman without trials. Being on a spiritual path does not prevent you from facing the darkness, but it teaches you how to use the darkness as a tool to grow. So we have to look at trials. Worship team, you can come forward. We have to look at trials. <clears throat> it's training. It's training for us to reign with God. It's training for us to go through difficult times, and we come out of it, and we go, for me and my house, I'm going to serve the Lord. No matter what you hit me with, devil, I'm going to serve God. Come on, are you with me here this morning? That's what he's looking for. It doesn't mean that when we're hit, that at times we fall down. It doesn't mean that when we're hit, that we don't wobble around and we're kind of, you know, disorientated. Come on. You lose something dear to your life. That's a shaking thing. Here's the thing. God must prepare his children for the future. Let's personalize it. God must prepare you for your future. He's preparing each and every one of you. You're not just like he doesn't know you. He forgot about you. Listen, God Almighty knows the hairs on our head. Over 7 billion people, he knows everything. He has not forgotten you. Somebody should say amen. He knows you. He cares about you. I want to conclude now. We talked about a rhema word. And I just think of the story in 1 Samuel. Elkanah, the Bible says he had, he had two wives back then. One was called Hannah, the other Paniah. And the Bible said that Paniah, she had children, but Hannah had none. Because it said, because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb. Interesting. But her rival kept provoking her 
in order to irritate her. And the Bible says this went on year after year. How many know that's a storm in their circumstance and their culture, the way they had it? And and he he has two wives and she would have kids and she kind of mocked her. Ladies, you feel this like, I don't don't have a child. How many know it was tremendous agony? See, if you didn't have a child, you would consider like worthless. I I couldn't produce, especially a son. I couldn't, I couldn't bring the, continue the family name on. It was the most heart-rending, painful thing. There's someone, she agonized. She was in major agony. She was in a storm. But it was interesting, God closed her womb. Interesting. It was so bad, her storm, that she went to the temple and she went in the temple and she began to pray. And we, we know that as the scripture says that her lips moved. And, and Eli, the high priest, who, who I find out this is interesting. If you study a little bit, Eli, his sons were wicked. They were fornicating with the women that brought the offerings to the temple. They, the, the sons at the temple door, okay? Uh, and Eli, he was this obese man. And he didn't discipline his children. And he misread what was going on in her heart. So just think of, think of Eli being like a preacher. Not me, but just think about it. Think about it, okay? Uh, and, and, and he looks at her and he accuses her and he goes, you know what, drunk woman, what are you doing in church drunk? She goes, but here's the thing. She didn't rip into him and say, who do you think you are? I'm telling you, well, I'm not drunk. She goes, not so, my Lord. She respected the authority as goofed up as that guy was. She respected the authority. See, when you respect authority, you can get a miracle. In spite of the idiot that's there. You can if you expect and respect what God has. And he goes, she goes, I'm in agony. I don't have a son. I don't have a child. I want a child. She's all this, this is in her heart. But here's the thing. When she's there and he's watching her, I don't think she was just standing there going like this. Because he was just thought, what woman, what's going on? He thought she was drunk. How do drunk people act? Some of you know what it's like. I don't. Oh, God. Oh, staggering. You know, she probably fell down on the ground. Just, oh, she's in the temple. She's acting like she's crazy. She's drunk. Put away your wine. Because someone like that wouldn't be doing that in church. What's the matter with you? This is what he says to her. So this overweight, insensitive, pathetic father slash high priest, he speaks a rhema word to this woman. (sighs) Hallelujah. Eli answered, he said, go in peace. May the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. See, here's the thing why a word is so important, a rhema word. When you're in the midst of the storm, how are you acting? Oh, God, what's, where are you, God? What's going on? When are you going to help? When are you going to rescue? Chains. And you're just staggering through life. And you're just thinking, life is just coming upon me. And there's no way out. I don't see the future. Where is God? How is he going to help me? Then you get a word from God. You know what she did? The Bible says she did something. She went her way. She ate something. And her face was no longer downcast. Was she pregnant at that moment? No. What am I trying to say? Would you get a word from God? She got up. She straightened up herself. She had hope now. 
She had hope that I'm going to get out. Of, I'm going to get a son. Nothing changed. Everything was the same. She went back home to the same circumstance, to the same situation, to the same dysfunction. But she walked with her head high. I'm going to have a son. I'm going to have what God promised because God gave me a word. And some of you, you need a word. You need a word from God that's going to help you straighten up and go, you know what? There's hope. I was talking with my wife earlier, and there's many rhema words that we've received through our life. And recently, there was one that uh, we were at a conference, and, and we were praying for uh, my daughter, Mariah. And, and she was here at the conference, and, and there was a woman that was preaching. Uh, and this woman, she was on fire. And she was from New York. And she was just declaring things. My wife, she just started crying, started weeping. And I'm like, okay, what is going on? And God gave her a rhema word in that moment. And that word was, that's what your daughter is going to do. That's what your daughter is going to be. That call that's on that woman is on her. And my wife's crying and she texted. She texted my daughter who was in an overflow room with Destiny. And Mariah is crying because <laughs> she said, I don't know. But when I heard this woman preach, something inside me leaped. See, my wife, you talk to her now, she has hope. She knows someday God's word will come true. So when we hear difficult things, you know, and you have things that shake your boat, you can hang on to that word. You know what? God said he gave me a word. Hallelujah. Every head bowed, please. God, I ask that you give your people a word. Give them a word for their son or their daughter. Give them the word for their spouse, for their husband, for their wife, for their child. Give them a word, Father God, for their marriage, for their engagement. Give them a word, oh God, for their physical body. Give them a healing word, oh God, I pray here today. Give them a word. Give them a word, God, for their business. Give them a word for their future, God. Give them a word, oh God. Give them a word in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Praise God. You're here this morning and maybe watching by television and you don't know the Lord. You need to get right with God. Today is a beautiful day. Today is a day of salvation, the Bible says. That you are last to pray corporately. To receive Christ. Say this to me. Say, Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for my sin. Jesus, I give you my life. I repent of my sin. Save me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us today in the ministry of God's Word. My prayer today is that you will experience a new revelation of who Christ is in you. Feel free to make as many copies of this message as you like. For more information about Church for the Harvest scheduled ministry times and meeting place, please visit us at churchfortheharvest.com or contact the church office at 320-759-1400. At Church for the Harvest, you belong.